Ain't no going back. The only way is forward. You are locked on fantasy basketball. Your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball. Let's go through and do another team preview podcast, a team that is full, chock full in fact, of fantasy goodness and that is the Denver Nuggets and to discuss the Denver Nuggets and their 2018-19 season, I'm joined by the host of the Locked On Nuggets podcast and that is Adam Maris. Adam, welcome, uh, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me on. I'm actually really excited for this uh, to be on for this episode. I think the Nuggets are really interesting from a fantasy standpoint this year, so this should be fun. Yeah, there's lots that uh, that could be happening with this team. There's tons of offensive potential, of course. There are a few players uh, changing teams, joining this team, a few dynamics we need to discuss. So we've got lots to talk about with this uh, with this Nuggets team, Adam. And yeah, you're going to be the best person for us to talk about with uh, all that all that with. Let's uh, let's start. I asked ask, uh, all these uh, co-hosts uh, so a couple of questions in advance now. The first one I'm going to go through, Adam, just to get this out of the way, is the projected record for this team. You went with 49 and 33, and in the true tradition of uh, team hosts, you uh, went the over on the Vegas total, 47 and a half. 49 would probably get them into the playoffs. We know they just missed last season. Do you think that that's close to their, their ceiling, or how much higher do you think the Nuggets could actually get if things go right? Oh, I think their ceiling is, is probably higher than that. And I want to preface this by saying I think I've – I think I've missed, in the last three years, I've been right on target, two of them, and I was off by one game, I think, last year. So I think I said 47, they won 46. So uh, generally, I'm, I'm pretty pretty on the money with this. I think 49 would be my prediction so far. We're a bit of ways away, I guess, before making an official prediction. But um, their ceiling, if, if they're healthy for the entire year and everything sort of clicks... Um, you know, players like Juancho Hernan Gomez look more like they did their rookie season than the than last year, where he missed the entire season. Michael Porter Jr. Maybe he plays. Trey Lyles. You know, if everything clicks right, I think the team has like a fifty-two, fifty-three game uh, ceiling. So uh, forty-nine, I think, is the is a more realistic sort of uh, ceiling for them. Not not necessarily if everything breaks right. Of course, this team was it was excellent in terms of their offensive execution last season, the sixth best offense uh, in the NBA defensively. They left a little bit to be desired, but probably their their offense got a little bit better this uh, this off season. We just say with the additions of uh, with Isaiah Thomas to be that uh, that bench scorer, there is a chance that they can be the best offense in the NBA. Adam, I don't know that that's the biggest change for them. I, he, certainly, if he plays anything like he did when in Boston, that's then then he's a huge acquisition, and I think he can carry the bench unit. But for me, the biggest change for them, and this is sort of a personnel, but it's also sort of just in, in their identity, was losing Wilson Chandler and replacing him, presumably, with Will Barton in the starting lineup. I think that's the plan. What, what that move does and what it sort of symbolizes for the team is they are, I, I think they figured out what their best identity is. And as you mentioned, it's a very offensive, heavy uh, team. But that was the, their starting lineup next year is, in my opinion, their best five-man lineup. It was their best five-man lineup last year. But they didn't go to it very often, and, and it kind of threw off the rotation. So for me, the biggest change is swapping out who was their weakest starter in Wilson Chandler and replacing him with Will Barton, who I think is uh, 
maybe an underrated player, even especially here in Denver, where I think he became sort of a scapegoat. I, I just think he makes the Nuggets, he completes the Nuggets' identity and what they are best at, which is just scoring a ton of uh, points, both in transition and in the half court. And, and so I think Denver now is going to get, you know, a thousand plus minutes of their best five man lineup, and, and that's very, very encouraging. Interesting about Barden. I'm I'm not as high on him as, as what you appear to be. I think he does make some questionable decisions, especially with the ball in his hand, even when he's on the court with other guys who are superior offensive players. But I want to talk about the change of Barton going to the starting lineup. A lot of people in uh, that the play fantasy basketball, they look at things they look at things in a very uh, black and white situation. He's gone from the bench to the, to being a starter. Now everything's going to tick up. But you've got to look into it a little bit more than that because last season he played 33 minutes. As a six man, that is starter minutes. In fact, that's more than starter minutes on plenty of different teams. But to me, the difference here, Adam, is him moving to that starting lineup and playing along, alongside Nikola Jokic and Gary Harris and Jamal Murray and Paul Millsap puts him to me, and then maybe you could uh, argue with this, I think he's probably the fifth offensive option out of that group, or in his head he's the first, but in terms of the actual talent <laughs> of these guys, I would say he's the fifth offensive option. And the numbers when he played alongside Jokic, Harris, and Murray last season versus when he was on the court without them, playing that pseudo backup point guard role that he did so much, we saw his usage drop by about six percentage points. His assist rate, I think, was almost cut in half during that time. And that's a real downer for his overall fantasy value. So is that something that you've seen when he plays with these guys that he does take that step back, even though the team performs at, at a better rate. The Barton's overall production will probably dip this season. I don't. I actually don't don't know that I would say that. Obviously, all five guys can't have an improvement in their offensive numbers and and in their fantasy numbers. So somebody is going to have to sacrifice. But I actually think the fifth option for the Nuggets, at least through the first three quarters, is going to be Paul Millsap. Yep. If you look at how the Nuggets played following his return from injury and of course if you watch the nuggets consistently you saw that his left hand just was not uh it was never fully healed towards the end of the year he was always clearly favoring his right hand and or, or his left hand and not using it to rebound and things but if you just watch how he played i think paul Millsap realized from sitting on the bench for three months that this team doesn't necessarily need his offense he just needs to be a cog in the machine but they really needed his defense so i think next year Jokic, Barton, Harris, Jamal Murray will all have very explosive nights, maybe even explosive weeks where they get hot and and it carries over, you know, throughout the course of a couple games. But I think Paul Millsap will be the guy that that focuses more on the defensive end. And then with regards to to Will Barton entering the starting lineup, here's I think the number one thing people just have to look at. All of the Nuggets players, and this is true of three years, when they share the court with Nikola Jokic, become more efficient players. Uh, Will Barton, obviously coming off the bench, he was asked to do a, a, a bunch of different roles. I personally think he became something of a scapegoat for the Denver Nuggets last year uh, because he was not playing with Nikola Jokic, and when Jokic was on the court, the Nuggets were good. When he was off, they were bad. So I think rather than looking at it as a, a deficiency of Jokic, People looked at it and said, well, Barton's on the court and the team's not doing well. This is his fault. He was asked to be a point guard off the bench. He was asked to be a scorer. He was asked to be a starter one night and a bench guy the next. I think next year, having him as sort of the third guard who can handle the ball and play off of Jokic, I think he's going to have uh, some really, really big scoring nights. I think his efficiency will be very good. And his, as for his raw per game numbers, it'll be up and down and maybe take a little bit of a step back just from being in the lineup. But I think that he'll have very, very, very explosive nights, 35 point nights. I wouldn't be surprised if he went for 40 on, on some nights. 
That is a that is a bold call. If Will Barton goes for forty, I I, I personally will be shocked, but uh, we'll we'll see how it all goes. The other thing I think that might happen with him in terms of not playing that point guard role is the fact that he his assist numbers should likely drop again. You're adding an extra ball. He's playing more with Murray and with Jokic, and then Isaiah Thomas comes in and is that secondary uh, ball handler, that bench ball handler as well. And he averaged you know, four point one assists per game last season. I could see that dropping down to you know, three three point two three point three, which in the on the scheme of things, it doesn't look like a big drop. We're talking, that's like a twenty. Five percent drop, and that does make an impact yeah. when you're talking about his fantasy numbers. Now he was he was strong last season. He was barely outside the top fifty, the fifty third ranked player, and he was over the second half of the last season, the last forty one games, he was the thirty fifth ranked player. I don't think he gets back to that. He still, I still think. You now I said that he, he, in my opinion, could be the fifth offensive option. I still think he's the fourth best fantasy guy in this team, with Millsap being a, 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 the fifth guy and a fairly decent fifth guy in that group. But I do think that some of especially if you're looking at Barton and going, well, he's starting now, so therefore numbers go up. If you've got that mindset with him, are you going to be really disappointed? Because he's not going to be taking this massive leap forward because he's starting, because he already played 33 minutes per night. It's just going to be a change in roles. Maybe the scoring does go up, and the efficiency probably does go up as well, but maybe I'd expect the usage to go down a bit and the assist numbers to drop there as as well. Now, let's talk a little bit about uh, Nikola Jokic. Pretty good. It's pretty, 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 pretty good. I'm not sure if you're aware of uh, of this, Adam, but over the uh, post-All-Star break period last year, Nikola Jokic was the third best player in fantasy basketball. Um, and people look at that and go, yeah, there was no Paul Millsap. But that wasn't actually the case because Millsap played all but two of those games post-All-Star break. Right. So once Millsap was back and integrated, Jokic still was able to take his game and just he basically went bananas. He was playing more minutes. Um, something which I've been critical of Michael Malone for over the past two years, just not playing Jokic enough. But we saw that over that stretch where they were pushing for the playoffs, that he played a ton of minutes. Do you think that we saw the way we saw Jokic play, the way he put this team on his back and was putting up numbers, like crazy numbers through that yeah, February, March, April stretch, that we'll be seeing a similar Jokic? Or is it going to be the same old story where the first month of the season, there's weird slow starts and odd performances and you know frustrating fouls from Jokic? Or is that like a... a, a it's all clicked type of moment for both Malone and for Jokic the Nuggets will not make the playoffs if if they get off to that slow start again next year I think the West is too loaded and and I think I'll personally gouge my eyeballs out if (laughs) if that happens and it was you know last year I think you said the all-star break the date I use is January 22nd and that's an important date for for kind of an important reason the Nuggets were on a bit of a slide entering that stretch and Michael Malone called a press conference and and put a lot of the blame on himself saying that he's been over orchestrating the offense. I think That's anybody right. that watched watched the the Nuggets play in the first half of last year, it was very very clear that the offense was very heavily orchestrated and and a lot of play calls and it was just deliberate action. From that moment on is when Jokic really started uh, to take off and and the numbers for him just started to swell. I think in the 36 games from that point on, he averaged 21 points, 11 rebounds, 7.3 assists and shot 46% from the three-point line on four attempts and uh, 52% from the field. So his numbers, I think I think whatever numbers you had from post-All-Star All- break probably started a month earlier at that January 27 or 22nd deadline. And I do think that it's 
that that there's something to this, something that did happen to the team in those final 36 games. And one of those things was at media day last year, I asked Nikola Jokic what it was like to come into training camp with his team. Now that now now that the team is yours, and he really laughed, not like genuinely laughed at that idea and said, "It's not his team. It's Paul Millsap and Gary Harris's team." And he he's still he's still like on you know coming on up. And and I. And you think, okay, maybe that's just a player being humble, but I think if you watch how they play, Jokic did not embrace being the cornerstone piece of this team until about halfway through. And not it wasn't just that he didn't embrace it. I don't think Michael Malone embraced it. The way that they structured their offense and the rotations and things like that, you know, it, it really was Millsap and Gary Harris's team. But at that point... I, and and part of what happened was uh, Mason Plumlee got hurt. The Nuggets became overly reliant on Jokic in part because they had to because of some injuries. But after they got, they started to really get rolling at the end of January and early parts of February. I think everybody and and Jokic included realized this was his team. And then when Millsap came back, there was a brief dip where where Jokic I think had three straight games where he scored in sing, single figures yep. immediately following his return. But at, but after that, Paul Millsap like a, a true leader called Jokic down to his office, so to speak. And they had a heart to heart. And he basically said, I'm a veteran. Now I'm an old guy. This is your team. And I'm just here to fit into you. Don't expect, don't expect you to fit into me. This is your team. And from that moment on, I, if you look at the last six, seven weeks of the season, Jokic went to an even a whole completely new level and was just more aggressive and everything else. So I would like to think that whatever block there was mentally for Jokic early in the season, I think he is through it and now understands, especially with this new contract, understands that this team is his and he, he can't be passive. He has to be this aggressive fulcrum of the offense type player. So I do not think they will they will struggle with some of the same things they have to start the season the last two years. After those three single-digit scoring games, the game straight after that, he went for 36-13-6. And, and in the last month of the season, because that was basically around the 9th of March, that last month of the season, he put up four triple-doubles in that time. And was uh, just he basically just hit every shot that he was taking from the field, from three, from wherever it was. And he was he was dominant in that stretch. I think he is a clear first-round player in fantasy. You could make the argument that he is a top-seven type of a guy. He could very easily be a top-five sort of a player. Now, many people will be hesitant to do that just because of those consistent slow starts and everyone always remembers the slow starts to seasons rather than the hot finishes but again he heads into his fourth season now this is the time when many players oh this might be the year they break out this guy's already a star we already know what he is and if he takes that step forward we could be talking top four top five sort of a player so that's how you should be looking at him he shouldn't be escaping the first round in any sort of fantasy format Uh, because I think you're going to miss out if you take someone else in that latter stage ahead of him now this is a team Adam um, with a lot of injury concerns Michael Porter Jr., of course, who they took in the first round of the draft, has had that second back surgery. The uh, we, we spoke about this yesterday on Locked On NBA, but for those of you who didn't hear this on Locked On NBA, the words coming out from Porter are that you know, he is pain-free and he wants he wants to be ready to go, but there seems to be a little bit of hesitancy from the team in terms of when he is going to be ready, and they're in absolutely no rush to get him out there. So I think it's going to be uh, unlikely we see much of Porter this year. Agree, Adam? Uh, absolutely, I still would be shocked if he played at all. But if he does, I, 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 am almost certain it would not come from before January or so. But um, still, no official word. That's just my hunch. Yeah, that, that's the way it seems to be. It just seems to be him 
pushing out the narrative as players always seem to, no, I'll be all right, I'll be all right. Very much similar to a, uh, a new nugget this season, Isaiah Thomas, who kept pushing that narrative last season, no, I don't need surgery, I'll be right. And then, of course, he was absolutely disgraceful for the majority of the season because he should have had that surgery. But now he has had that surgery on his hip, which uh, you know, curtailed his season last year. He is a year older. We know the history of older point guards who are small. I don't think he's ever going to get back to that level of insane efficiency he had in Boston on that huge usage. But in terms of the role of Isaiah Thomas. We know that Malone, and he did this last season, I've been critical of him. He was you know, taking Jamal Murray out of the lineup and putting Emmanuel Moutier in there at times. But much like he did with Jokic over those final couple of months of the season, Murray was playing, and he was playing 36, 37 minutes a night. And he realized, oh, God, this is our guy, and this is the lineup we're to go for. But with a guy like Thomas there, is there that still that risk that Malone is going? If Murray has a night where he shoots two of seven, if Malone's going to say, well, you can sit down and you can play 20, we'll run with Thomas. Do you think that's a legitimate risk? Or does Thomas and Malone have him pegged? No, you're backing up Jamal. He is our future. He is our point guard. The Nuggets have come out and publicly stated that, you know, Jamal Murray is the starter. So there's no starter controversy, and, and he's the guy of the future. That's who they want to invest in. But this is probably a top five concern for me for the Nuggets go, uh, coming into the season. Maybe the number one offensively was just, uh, as you mentioned, does Jamal Murray have to worry about how he plays in the first half because that's going to determine how many minutes he gets? I think that would be a very, very bad precedent to set, to, to set early in the season of, oh, I'm going to close with whichever guy is hot. Because you want to build some consistency with your rotations, and you want to have a consistent kind of closing lineup, just like you have a consistent starting lineup. So there's certainly uh, a, a case to be made that that's a concern, and one that I buy into. Isaiah Thomas, I think the second leading scorer in the NBA two seasons ago in Boston in the fourth quarters. I mean, he was a fourth quarter scorer, and that's something Denver struggled with last season. Was Their offense, as great as it was, really ran into a wall in the final five, six minutes of the game. So it's a legitimate concern. That being said, um, there are a lot of question, question marks with Isaiah Thomas. And then the, one of the biggest question marks is, can you close a game with Isaiah Thomas and Nikola Jokic on, on the court together? I think teams, every team in the, in the league would attack those two in the pick and roll uh, every time that they could. So if, if, I think it's a legitimate concern, but there's some reasons I think maybe it won't be as big a concern as we fear. Uh, but it's certainly a question mark. To begin last season, this is Jamal Murray's minutes in the first you know, three weeks of the season. 20, 20, 29, 33. 20, 31, 32, 21, 21, 19, 25, 18. And that was, and in some of those games he shot poorly, some of them he shot well, but it was this weird situation where him and Moutier will be, be changing over, closing lineups differently. Of course, Moutier got traded later in the season, but that, that does worry me a little bit with Murray in terms of where we're looking at drafting him this season in fantasy, because there is, there is that risk. And his, his rank on Yahoo is fairly high, it's 38. I think that's right about where he can be, assuming we play, he plays the role that we think that he should, but, Malone doesn't have the track record of being consistent with him apart from that stretch to end last season. So I think we do have to have a level of concern there. And as for Thomas, he's obviously going to be that first guard off the bench. He's going to get his shots in that bench unit. Can he get any level of efficiency back? That's going to be the big question. But he's still, I think, going to be... Yeah, maybe a guy you'd look at as a last pick type of player, see what they end up doing with him. Do they play him in a Will Barton-ish role and play him 29 minutes? That might be hard to find those minutes. They'd need to push Gary Harris down to the three a little bit more so they could play Thomas and Murray combination backcourts to get those minutes, which it might be possible, might not be. But he's not the guy that, you know, ESPN has Isaiah Thomas ranked as the 50th guy, which is nonsense to me. And he's not going to get, really, I don't think anywhere near that unless uh, something really weird does go on. The other draft pick they had, Adam uh, Jared Vanderbilt, another injured player. 
Have we had any news on him with that broken foot um, that, that kept him out of summer league and uh, it looks like it's going to keep him out of a chunk of the season? You know, when it, when they drafted him, I I was told that they expected him to play uh, or to be ready for camp. Um, but, you know, and who knows what the update is with that. He was in a boot and he's no longer in a boot and he's doing some light type workouts and shooting and things like that. But um, so I don't know what the what the status is for him at the start of the season. But I do know the status of the power forward position is just there's a lot of players there that are going to get minutes. Paul Millsap. Obviously going to get uh, the lion's share of the minutes at power forward, but Mason Plumley I think will play a lot there as well. Trey Lyles will be the the like the regular backup power forward. Millsap, I think uh, Mason Plumley will play some center, some power forward. Lyles will, will play a lot of power forward at the backup spot, and then Juancho Hernan Gomez maybe plays a little bit there. Michael Porter Jr. if he is healthy plays a little bit there. So Vanderbilt will enter the season you know fourth or fifth on the depth chart at power forward alone. Um, so I, even if he is healthy, I, I think he's a guy that I'm very, very, very high on long term. I just think next year it'll be very difficult for him to break into the rotation and, and to prove that he's he's ready for those minutes. He would he would sort of have to give he would have to outplay the guys ahead of him by like 130 percent or something just to, <laughs> j- just to sort of uh, all things being equal. The guy that you answered the question to is who will be the breakout player in this team is the guy that I probably would have gone for as well in this spot, and that is the Blue Arrow, Jamal Murray. We, we know that he was excellent last season. He barely, uh, he just cracked inside the top 60 in terms of fantasy in th- only 31.7 minutes per game. But as I said, post-All-Star, he was playing 35 a night, and he was a top 40 player. Um, yeah, Do you think that that second half, Murray, much like second half, Jokic, and, and the way that they work together, is that what we should be expecting for Jamal? Or do you think there's another step that he can take forward from what we saw over those last 30 games of last season? I think he's the safest bet for player that's going to make uh, you know a, a large statistical leap, and especially when you just look at some of the efficiency marks. Uh, I think he's he's poised to to kind of climb there, and part of that is because, as you mentioned, he improved throughout the season, as most second year players that are playing consistent minutes do. But also he he also got an off season last off season. He had hernia surgery and basically missed the entire summer uh, rehabbing from that injury. This this summer he get, he's a hundred percent healthy entering the off season. But I think the biggest reason I would be optimistic from a fantasy standpoint from him is that I think he is a much better off-ball player. He's good in the pick-and-roll, the dribble handoff, and, and he's built a lot of consist uh, of chemistry with Nikola Jokic in that regard. But I think he's best as a spot-up guy, running off screens, being on the weak side, getting open, and then knocking down shots. And with Will Barton and Gary Harris both playing alongside of him, I think there's going to be a lot of nights where he's sort of the off-ball guy. He'll bring the ball up court. He'll initiate the, the action or whatever. But those other guys will be driving to the rim and kicking out. So I think he'll, he will be the beneficiary of a lot of catch-and-shoot three-pointers. And he is as good as anybody. Oh, I shouldn't say as anybody. He's one of the best guys in the, in the NBA at, at those types of shots, and I think he'll get a lot more of them. Here's a, a question for you. Who do you think will end up with more assists per game next season, Jamal Murray or Will Barton? Man, that's a really good question. Um, for for I, reference, I, I, Barton had four point one last season, and Murray had three point four. I think I think it'll be Will Barton, and and again, I am I'm as high on Will Barton I think as just about anybody you're going to find. I, 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 as I said, I think he gets a really bad rap uh, with some of the selfishness stuff. I don't think he's selfish, um, but I I think it'll be him. I, I I think he'll be the guy that's most equipped to sort of create plays outside of Nikola Jokic. He's, I think, the guy that's the most equipped right now in that starting lineup to to drive to the basket and, and drop it off or kick it out or, or whatever. 
I don't think there's any way that you should be letting Jamal Murray fall outside of a top 50 in any sort of fantasy format. I know in ESPN he's ranked in the 60s, so there's, there's clear value there. Yahoo is, is right about the same or right about the right spot in that 40 zone. That's the area he should be. Maybe he can push to top 30 as well. If he becomes a 20-point-per-game guy, he is a top 30 type of player. And if somehow he gets to five assists, which is a big step from last season, then he goes even further. But he is a guy you shouldn't be letting escape that top 40 sort of a sort of a zone. Let's, uh, let's change uh, gears a little bit. Let's talk about the two-way guy on this team. We saw some use, especially from Tory Craig as a two-way player last season. He has been converted to a full-time contract, as has Monty Morris, their two two-way players last season. So they bring in two new guys in that spot, Thomas Welsh, the 58th pick in the draft, and a guy with at least top three name in the NBA, uh, Devon Akun Purcell, gets the other two-way guy, the other two-way spot. Do you see Welsh and Akun Purcell having similar roles to, say, Craig did last season? Or was the way that Craig played just because Malone loved him because of his uh, tenaciousness on on the defensive side of the ball? I don't see either one of those guys having any type of impact. I mean, Welsh, you look at, the Nuggets don't, they have two centers on the roster. I don't think they want to play Paul Millsap a ton of minutes. So if there's an injury to either Jokic or Plumlee, then, then that whole then that changes and I wouldn't be surprised if he did play. But other than that, I don't I don't see him playing and the same goes for Devon Purcell. I, I he's a similar type player as Tory Craig but just smaller and and so I don't I don't see him being a guy that gets on the court at all. Yeah, I, I want him to because I do enjoy the name. But apart from that, yeah, I don't think we're <laughs> going to be seeing uh, huge amounts from either of those guys. Not a big, uh, not a big Thomas Welsh guy either uh, over here. Let's uh, talk. Let's change direction a little bit now and focus on things like I'm asking all the hosts this, Adam, and, and a national myth, I guess, that surrounds this team. What's something that people who may not study the Nuggets as much or, or not watch them as much say about them? Uh, whether that's a team, individual player, play style that isn't true that you you can uh, enlighten all us about. I'll give you three. I'll give you two kind of that I won't go into depth on, and then one that I will go into depth on. The one Nikola Jokic being an awful defender, I think, is is oh, yeah. one that. Everybody kind of knows about this, you know. I, I don't. He's obviously very, very weak as a pick and roll defender in space. I don't. I, I, and that's one thing that late in the season teams could really exploit, and they went to a lot, especially in the last three or four minutes. But as a defender, he's I, as an overall defender, I think he's actually a positive, an above average defensive player. Great rebounder, great, great at playing the angles in his hand. So, so he's. He has a major weakness that I think will get exploited in fourth quarters and in a playoff series, but not, all around not as bad. Um, Paul Millsap, I know a lot of people, you know, he missed a bunch of games and a lot of people, well, that's not that big of a loss. Paul Millsap was probably the second most irreplaceable player on the Nuggets roster last year behind Nikola Jokic. Um, he, he is defensively almost what Nikola Jokic is offensively and just that he makes up for so many mistakes and when he's on the court um the Nuggets defense is elevated but three or four steps on the ladder basically um so him being back I don't know that Denver's defense is going to improve because they got worse by adding Isaiah Thomas and by losing Wilson Chandler defensively but I think by adding uh, adding Paul Millsap back in, you know, seventy five games or something like that, which is what he averages, I think that helps him. But the number one thing I'm going to give, I'm I'm going to surprise people with a little bit here. I don't know that Denver. I don't know that it's it's right to say that Denver plays quote unquote fast. Um, they do get up in fast break quite a bit, and I, and I suspect next this next season having three guards in the lineup that uh, their their pace could pick up a, a little bit. But I think in the pace department, 
what did Denver rank last year? I think 15th, right about league average. And what they do is they play half fast in the half court. The ball pops. The, the ball moves side to side and everybody's cutting, but they don't necessarily play a high possession style of basketball. Uh, and that's that's one thing I think people are pretty surprised about. Yeah, they, according to basketball reference, I was 16th in, in pace. So yeah, right, right in that middle. It looks fast because the ball's moving that much, but in terms of overall amount of possessions per game, uh, I mean, they're right smack bang in the, in the middle and, and right about league average in terms of that, that overall pace. Um, in terms of you know, playing style of this team, is there anything that we should be looking at as a change? Will they speed it up? Will they you know, take more threes? Will they do anything different defensively? Will they be more gambly? Like anything that's going to change based on personnel or, or any coaching philosophy changes? I think the number one thing I expect, but I'm not certain of, this is a thing I, I, I kind of believe to happen, is that I think the Nuggets will, will get a lot more shots at the rim than they did last year. One of the weird things that happened Nikola Jokic's efficiency as a player went down, just if you look at his like field goal percentage from his sophomore season. And I think one of the reasons was, in the sophomore season, the team had Jameer Nelson, who had a, uh, not a career year, but if you look at Jameer Nelson's career, you know, in Orlando, his five best seasons all happened while he was in Orlando. His five worst seasons are all the last five seasons of his career as he's gotten older, except for that one year he spent with the Denver Nuggets, the full year he had with the Denver Nuggets, where he was really, really elevated. And I think the reason for that is if you can play pick and roll with Nikola Jokic, if you have a guard that's capable of doing that, you're going to get a lot of assists just getting those drop-offs to Jokic at the free throw line because he's just so automatic, either from that catch-and-shoot, short roll jumper or from taking a dribble and shooting that kind of awkward floater that he's so good at last year they didn't get a lot of those and almost every main contributor gary harris jamal murray nicole Jokic, will barton all those guys took fewer shots at the rim than they did the previous season i think a lot of that had to do with the absence of jameer nelson and i think that now adding isaiah thomas back in there and also having jamal murray just a year older and a year better been more experienced at playing pick and roll i expect all the nuggets numbers and shots at the rim to go up maybe not as much as they were in 2016 but certainly more than they were last year that's something to definitely pay attention to because you get more shots at the rim and a higher percentage there than your field goal percentage goes up and that can bump guys like Jokic, like murray even higher than what we had them last season where they can go even further so that is really important if that turns out to be the case so it is something to watch out for how thomas can change that overall dynamic with this uh, nuggets team Let's uh, let's look at uh, the next thing now. Next question I asked guys was the most likely player to be traded, and you answered with Trey Lyles. Now we had a discussion yesterday on Locked On NBA about Chris Dempsey, Nuggets beat reporter, saying that he thinks Lyles can be the fourth leading scorer on this team. We both uh, seem to disagree with that. Just I just don't see how the opportunities are going to be there. He played like 14 minutes a night when uh, when Paul Millsap returned to the second half of last season. He was really good, Trey Lyles. During that portion of the season when Millsap was out, he played well, he scored well, he was very efficient after a disappointing second year in Utah. I just don't see how that opportunity is going to arise for him. And do you think it's more like a, if they are going to trade him, and not saying that they will, is it more of a, like a let's strike while the iron's hot type of situation? Hey, he's playing really well, let's try and get something back. We've got a glut of power forwards. What's your thought here on Trey Lyles' role for this season and why they could be looking to move him? I don't if if Trey Lyles plays really well this year. If he has a career year, I don't think Denver will trade him. Denver in the Tim Conley era has been very 
I think they've really liked their guys, guys that they've either drafted or brought in via trade, I th- maybe to the point of even overvaluing them. So I don't think that would happen. What I do think would happen is if, if he has sort of the similar year to what he did last year, somewhat inconsistent, hot months and cold months, um, then I think Denver would look at him and think, what is our strategy to pay him this offseason as he would be up for uh, for a new contract? And I think Denver would look at it and say, for as streaky as a player as he is, is, is does he fit? Def- he's not a great defender at the power forward position, so is, can he be part of the long-term deal? And they might look at that and just say, okay, he's a guy that we're not ready to pay right now and we're not ready to make a decision on. Um, but another team might look at him in, who has less to risk, not looking at, you know, who maybe maybe has the opportunity to take more of a gamble on him, and and he fits into their uh, long-term plan. So for Denver, it just comes down to the fact that they've got Paul Millsap, they've got Jared uh, Vanderbilt, and they've got Juancho Hernan Gomez. They might look at that and say, you know what, if we lose him, we have guys behind him that give us, at worst, 90% of what he does, 95 so let's save money there. That That's my whole thinking. He ended up yeah, scoring uh, almost 10 points per game with a really strong true shooting of 59%. I actually have him projected at the moment as the seventh leading scorer on this team behind Jokic, Murray Harris, Barton, Millsap, and Isaiah Thomas. And I think, you know, I find it hard for him to jump up that high. He also, the other thing that limits him fantasy wise, he just doesn't block shots. He doesn't get steals. He doesn't generate assists. He can be an, an okay scorer or a pretty good scorer. He can rebound all right, but he just doesn't do enough in those other areas. And he's not a good free throw shooter either. He's an average one, but he's not some, that's not something where it's a real strength of his. So I don't really like him as a, as a fantasy guy for this season, unless, of course, injuries happen again and Millsap uh, you know, goes down or, or something along those lines. Now, the draft picks... And let, me, and, let me just add, and let me just add in real quick there that he, when I say he had a really hot... He was really hot and cold. It was hot for stretches, yeah. and a lot of that was because, as you mentioned, there were injuries to to Jokic, to Plumlee, and to Millsap throughout the, the season. And when he got consistent minutes, he was very good. Unfortunately, I think he's going to have to adjust to being a 20-minute-per-game type guy, and he just hasn't done that great when he's played kind of spot minutes. I think he might even struggle to get to 20 minutes per night because uh, you've got Millsap, there's Jokic, there's Plumlee. Like, is Lyles the, the third big? Is he the fourth big? Like, where does he fit in in that mix? Well, you know, we saw right. Malone do it plenty of times, go with that Plumlee-Jokic starting front quarter and play Plumlee. He's 21, 22 minutes, and Lyles was pushed behind him in the rotation. Like, where does he fit in that mix? Is he ahead of Plumlee? Like, it's, it's Malone, we know he loves defense, and we, he kept talking about Mason Plumlee all last season. Oh, you don't know what he brings to us. You don't know what he does. You don't know all the defensive efforts he brings in. He was just constantly pumping him up in pretty much every post-game scrum <laughs> that he had, um, and it makes me lead, lead to believe that that's what he values over Trey Lyles' scoring and the defensive liabilities. Yeah, and if you look, I'm looking at it now. In December and January, he averaged 27 and a half minutes and 25 and a half minutes in those months, and those that's where the injuries came in. So he's a guy that, for fantasy purposes, maybe a waiver wire type guy. If you see an injury from one of Denver's front court guys, you know his minutes likely to get bumped up in the interim. So so. I w- I, maybe not a draft guy, but maybe a guy that, that you just kind of keep your eye on the injury report. Yeah, exactly. When If that opportunity arises, he comes in, he can drop your 20 points, he can get seven rebounds, and that's really, really useful for whatever length of time that happens to be the case. But then, as we saw last season, he can go back and play 15 minutes a night and be absolutely yep. useless in that type of a situation. We've spoken about the draft picks already, Michael Porter at 14, Vanderbilt at 41, and Welsh at 58. But let's go on to the projected started five. I don't think many people would have too much of a, of a query on this. Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Will Barton, Paul Millsap, and Nikola Jokic. We've spoken about four of those guys. We haven't really spoken about Gary Harris. Nice, Gary! Now... 
well, he was excellent last season. He remains still underrated by the broader NBA community. He was a top 40 fantasy guy last season, played 34 a night. He did miss a, a few games there, uh, and he played 67, but averaged 17.5 points, almost two steals, and the efficiency, this is the real calling card of Gary Harris, is he's a shooting guard that shoots basically like power forward type efficiency numbers. 60% true shooting, uh, 49 from the field, 40% from three. He heads into his uh, fifth season now, got that contract extension. Where does Gary, ha- I don't think he's regressing, but where can he improve in his game? Does the ball handling improve? Does he get more shots? To, does he become that second offensive option uh, behind uh, behind Jokic, it's him and Murray there? Where, how does that work? Where, what is his path to a step forward? I, you mentioned that everybody, or we talked about this earlier, Everybody, not everybody in that starting lineup can improve just raw numbers and I think I wonder if Gary is the guy most likely for a per game sort of for his stats to go down just a little bit um he's always to me been more of a finisher than a creator you mentioned the handle he improved his handle a lot last year and that opened up some of his playmaking but I still think Jamal Murray and Will Barton will enter the season with a better handle than him unless he makes an enormous leap I think both of those guys will be a little bit better at putting the ball on the floor to create a shot for themselves so maybe another area he can improve would be defensively which wouldn't necessarily fan uh translate to a fantasy perspective but it could be one of those things where gary's efficiency goes up he continues to cut and and knock down open threes but the offense is just in such a a great flow with that starting unit that he he takes fewer sort of self-created shots uh and allows the offense to come to him so maybe his per game numbers go down i think that's a real possibility with a player like him and denver's going to need defensive players so as we know, you can't give 100% effort for 34 minutes a night on both ends of the floor. A very few players can, maybe in a playoffs, but certainly not for 82 games. He might be a guy where that uh, the, the scale slides a little bit more towards the defensive end for him next year, and he puts a little bit more into it defensively and becomes a little bit more of a lower usage player uh, offensively. But to counter that, if you're a Gary Harris optimist, he, he did add that a lot to his handle last year. He's improved his game every single year. He's maybe, he's one of the players that I think year over year has done the best job of improving every single offseason. So maybe he gets a little bit more polished as a playmaker in the pick and roll, a little bit better off the handle, and then he becomes a legitimate second scorer for the Nuggets behind Nicole, or second offensive player behind Nikola Jokic. One of the things where defense can have an impact in fantasy is if a guy is really strong defensively and the coach wants to keep them on the court and that leads to just other numbers being accumulated. But that doesn't matter for Harris because we know that he's playing 33, 34 minutes per night. So even if he does improve defensively, it's not changing his playing time. It Maybe it gives him a little bit more in terms of steals, but he was already at 1.8 steals per night. And I agree with you. I think the usage does drop just a little bit for Harris this season. The efficiency, it'd be hard for it to go much higher than what it was, but that's still fine because he's still going to be that top 50-ish type of fantasy guy where he was in you know, 39th last season. I think it'll be around about that mark again. His Yahoo ranks at 43. That's about the right spot. But again, on ESPN, there's just a ton of value in Gary Harris. They've got him ranked as the 84th best player. And if you're getting him anywhere near that, there is I can't see any situation where Harris drops to become worse than that, unless for some reason he has one of those weird seasons like Andrew Wiggins did last season where his you know, free throw percentage drops by 10 percentage points just out of nowhere, or he can't hit any shots. I don't see it happening. This is just not who Gary Harris is. 
That's the only way I could see that ever actually coming to fruition where he falls outside the top 80. So don't be too concerned about that happening. I've already talked about Jamal Murray being the 64th ranked guy on ESPN. I think there's value there. ESPN also has a couple of nuggets ranked pretty highly that I'll just quickly touch on. Paul Millsap, they've got as the 47th ranked player. Yahoo's actually got him at 59th. I don't think he goes anywhere close to getting, getting to those numbers. He was actually 71st last season. He only played 30 minutes per game, but Adam... He's not going to be pushing back to that 34 minutes a night that he was getting in Atlanta a couple of years ago, is he? No, I don't think so. Um, maybe towards the back half of the season when things really get tough for Denver, I, I suspect he'll play more minutes than early. But but yeah, at his age, I think Denver just has, is going to keep him around that 30, 31 minutes, minutes per night. A couple of guys we haven't really touched on. Yeah, Mason Plum, we've talked about a little bit. Tory Craig. Is Tory Craig the immediate backup at small forward now? We know that he started games last season when Wilson Chandler was out, but there's really no one else to play that backup three role at this point unless they're going to go with Juancho Hernan Gomez, which I believe is not his uh, preferred position. It's a great question, and I think that is probably what they, they, the team is thinking at this moment, um, that Tory Craig will be the guy at backup small forward. But I'm not sure that's the right the right play for Denver. One of the problems with Denver that Denver's going to run into is they're just small at the wing. They Barton's very, very skinny. As tall as he is, he's a skinny guy. And Torrey Craig's a pretty skinny guy, too. Very strong, hustles, plays fast. But he'll struggle against some of the bigger guys. And I do wonder, with Juancho Hernan Gomez, he's such a good off-ball floor spacer, rebounder, cutter, that I wonder if they're going to experiment. This is this is maybe the biggest Malone rotation question I'll have, is how he handles that small forward and how he'll handle Juancho Hernan Gomez. Um, I, I think that Juancho has a great chance to, to break into some of those backup small forward minutes. Um, and I'm curious to see how he looks. It's not his natural position. I think he's a combo forward. But... Um, uh, but I, I think there's at least a small chance that he is that guy. What happened to Wancho last season? Was it was it the the illness that caused him to miss the start of the season? Because everything was just a complete disaster. He hit forty percent of his threes as a rookie, twenty eight percent last season. He just couldn't get anything going. The defense was still okay, but Malone seemed to hate him for the majority of the season. He only played the twenty five games and eleven minutes per game. Was it just a, a product of that illness? Did he actually just regress as the season went on? Like what what was the big issue? Because I thought he was in in line for a big you know, situation and, and should have been that guy that played that Trey Lyles type of role last season. My, actually, my show for tonight is actually on Wancho, at least a little bit about why he could be a breakout player this year. And and as you mentioned, his rookie season, I just thought he was such an incredible... He's my favorite type of player. I, I called him a Gary Harris of the small forward position or power forward position because he just never made mistakes. He didn't take bad shots. He knocked down open ones. He seemed to make plays off of... He knows how to cut and all of those things. I think he's a great fit alongside Nikola Jokic. Uh, so second units... You know, Jokic will probably run some with Isaiah Thomas. Wancho, I think, could fit as a floor spacer there. But it was the illness. He got mono. It wrecked his body. He lost a ton of weight. It took a couple, uh, you know, uh, several weeks for him just to get over the illness. And then once he was over it, he had lost a ton of body mass and had to build it up. And then by the time he had built his body up and was maybe ready to be cleared to play, the season was fully underway. And I think um, Malone you know, just kind of threw the, the year away for him and, and didn't really want to rely on him in important moments. So maybe unfair to him, and I think that's going to be the toughest part for him this year is sometimes when you get thrown to the bench, it's hard to get off of it, even if it was just for an injury or illness. But hopefully if he comes in with a clean slate, he'll have an opportunity to prove himself because I personally think he still remains a, a very good prospect for Denver and a very good fit for what they're trying to do. 
he saw his numbers, his per 36 numbers drop almost across the board. The only thing he really increased last season were his assists per 36, and he saw his free throw percentage jump as well. But overall, his efficiency was well down. His rebounding dropped, his shot blocking dropped, his steals dropped, his scoring dropped. And yeah, that illness did really take a huge toll on him. So maybe it's a reinvigorated Hernan Gomez we see this season. He can move into that backup spot behind Will Barton and have an opportunity. Maybe he gets back to 15, 16 minutes per night. But I do like him because I like his efficiency. I like his rebounding. He can get some steals. He's not a great shot blocker, but there's something a little bit there. I think he's probably a better shot blocker than what uh, Trey Lyles is. He can get to, to that level. So he's an interesting guy to, to take a look at. The one guy that I think on this roster, the last guy we haven't spoken about, unless you've got pressing thoughts on Tyler Lydon, is Malik Beasley, who heads now into his, is his third season or his fourth season? This is his third, same as Wancho. And he, he just really hasn't done much yet to really show that he is an NBA-caliber player. Played 62 games, only nine minutes per game. But is he a chance to move into that backup small forward spot as well, or is he just too small as well? He's about the same build as Torrey Craig. Um, more athletic, but they are both they both kind of have the same body, mass, weight, whatever, height. Um, maybe he's, a, I would say, an inch shorter than Torrey Craig, but no more than that. Um, so he has the opportunity. I think the tough part for Malik Beasley, he's sort of caught in between roles. He's not good enough to be uh, a scorer. You know, I think he's a role player, off-ball type player who can knock down shots. He's got a very good-looking shot. He can play in transition. He can cut. But he, he, I don't think he has the basketball IQ to to be that type of guy. Uh, so a lot of times he ends up taking bad shots. He has the mind frame, basically, of a, as a gunner, but I don't think he has the skill set for it. So he's kind of gotten stuck, I, I think, in between. Denver, unfortunately, just doesn't have a lot of options. As, behind Isaiah Thomas, if Will Barton's going to be playing small forward primarily, they don't have a lot of... Monte Morris, Torrey Craig, Malik Beasley... Only one of those guys can, you know, one of those guys are going to try to, is going to have to fill in and, and get some minutes there. I'm just not convinced Malik Beasley is the guy that's going to end up winning the position. But, um, but he is skilled. So, you know, mentally, if he puts it together and learns his role, he could be a great buy. I just would, I would bet against that happening. Yeah, I would, uh, I would do the same. He's, you know, hasn't shown really any huge, you know, massive skill set that's going to be, you know, translatable at some point. He you know, struggled with his free throws last year. He's okay as a three point shooter, but he's not someone who's, you know, banging in 39 of them, you know, 39% of them. He's a mid 30s type of a guy. This is a big year for him. Obviously, third season is, is when a lot of guys take that step forward. So he's got that opportunity. There is you know, a spot opening up there with Barton moving up to the three. But yeah, I, I'm like you. I'll be a little bit surprised if he's able to fully grasp that spot and develop into a consistent enough rotation guy. Adam, I reckon uh, that might do us for the Denver Nuggets today. You mentioned that uh, you are doing a show on one show for Locked On Nuggets. What else is coming up on the show? So I'm going to start a series today about it's basically why player X is going to break out. And and today I'm going to do Jokic and Wancho. Obviously, I'm going to go through the 10 most important players and not all of them can break out. But I'm going to get present the case of why each guy could have sort of a, a big leap year for them. Uh, and Wancho will be a guy I focus on what it would take, what, what certain things would have to happen for him to earn minutes. Uh, and I'm excited for it. Go and listen to Locked On Nuggets. Go subscribe to it. Adam, where can they find you on Twitter as well? At Adam underscore Mades, just my name. Go and, uh, go and follow Adam over there. But check out this podcast also on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, on TuneIn, on Stitcher, on Spotify, and on YouTube. Five-star rating, comments, reviews, thumbs-ups, all that sort of stuff. You know how to do it. Adam, thanks for jumping on once again to do the Denver Nuggets season preview on Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Thanks so much for having me. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. 
Isaiah Thomas.